Hebrews chapter 13 is where we will be. We make a, a regular habit around here that we just grab a book of the Bible, and you know this, and we spend time going through that. Uh, it is always a joy, but it's always a, a, a joy and sometimes difficult when we get to the end because Hebrews has encouraged us challenged us and here we are in the end um after we got this week and next week and then we'll dive into matthew we'll look at matthew 21 to the end of the chapter making our long trek into easter we're going to follow jesus the last week of his life and we're going to do that in kind of a slow methodical way we'll matthew 21 to the end of the chapter so that's where we'll be and, and like i say every week we we tell you that not just because i don't have anything to say we tell you that in the hopes that maybe you'll read matthew 21 to 28 uh, before you arrive here, and, and that would help encourage us together as a body. So we're going to be in Hebrews 13, and uh, like I've already referenced, we're, we're making the last turn here in Hebrews. We are in the home stretch, as they say. Today, next Sunday, is going to be our last times in this glorious book, but I suspect if the Lord allows me to be here 20 more years, which I hope so, we'll be back in this glorious book again. But it has been a joy to be in it. I think it's been helpful. And here on this last turn, here on this last stretch, I don't want us to um, think that he's just going to wrap up and it's no good. No, it's actually extremely interesting and very instructive for us and how the preacher, it's what we've been calling him over the last couple of months, how the preacher ends this sermon. I believe it's very interesting. I believe it's very instructive for us. This sermon that we have seen at times has been more like a dissertation, <laughs> but this sermon also at times has been very pastoral, exposing Christ and giving us incredible thinking about Jesus that moves its way into exhortations into our life. It's been a glorious book. What we've learned about this book is that the pastor, he cares. We've learned and we've seen the tendency and the, the feel of his uh, writing that he wants nothing more than for his friends, his brothers and sisters, to be confident in Christ, to grow in their understanding, so therefore to grow in their confidence in Christ. It is worth it to follow him. And this confidence, the preacher has believed that as our confidence grows, it would help us to remain faithful. We've been saying endure until the end. Especially these last few chapters have had this emphasis of endurance. This last chapter, Hebrews 13, will dive into, and I alluded this in my prayer, it's going to dive into other necessary areas of our life that need to be uh, tidied up, if you will. And the reason he feels like they should get a little bit of attention, because when suffering ramps up, well, it has an impact as well. Now, I got to say on the outset here that it might seem that the preacher is meddling. That's how we say it in the Deep South. You're meddling, Pastor. And it might seem like he is speaking on something that he should not be concerned about. Stay in your lane, pastor. Don't speak on those issues. Well, I, I will admit, he, the pastor, the preacher, he's speaking on things that we often believe that no one should talk to us about. But I think what we'll learn this morning is within the Christian community, within the local gathering, within brothers and sisters, we have to, and I think we should, 
invite one another into our daily affairs. We should give one another freedom to express concerns. I'll admit, a lot easier said than done. The preacher loves them. He cares about them. He's not meddling for meddling's sake. It actually is driven out of a deep love and concern for them because if Christ is indeed all that he has said Christ is, well, we all would agree. It radically impacts our life. Radically impacts the way that we think and it absolutely impacts the way we go about our daily lives. I just want us to remember that he, the preacher, he wants him to be more confident in Christ, more confident in Christ than our circumstances, more confident in Christ than the way that you and I feel. He wants them to have this confidence so that they will endure. And not just any old endurance, but endure in all aspects of life because that's just how glorious Christ is he influences all areas of our life but we have to understand something this morning brothers and sisters those visiting with us we cannot underestimate what hard times will do to our faith we cannot underestimate how suffering and difficulty how it will affect our faith in Christ, which in turn affects our daily actions. It is necessary for the preacher, the pastor, the writer of this glorious book to end this way. So this morning, we're going to look at the first six verses, all right? We're going to examine those and look at that this morning and watch how he instructs these People. So Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, um, be up on the screens for you, open your Bibles, dial it up on an electronic communication device, whatever you have. But here's the first six verses of Hebrews 13. Let brotherly, we could say sisterly as well, love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Anyone hear that old newsboy song, Entertaining Angels? Is that just me dating myself? Anyway, verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you, are also, or since you also are in the body. Verse 4. Let marriage... Be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexual immoral and the adulterous. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Oh, you better stop meddling, Hebrews. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. 
what can man do to me? There are five things, I would say five important instructions, or maybe I can make it even more simple, five ways of living that we all would agree require sacrifice. And we can even go more precise based upon the book that require, these things would require a sure confidence in Christ. That Christ and all that he done, our faith is just not some dream, but it actually is a surety that Christ is actually who he said he is. And if we look at these final instructions, we all can agree, at least I hope, and if you don't agree, maybe you will by the end, is that these things require a tremendous confidence in Christ, a, a surety of God. In order to be sure we are about these things. But see, because for the preacher and really the, the movement of Hebrews, it seems that when our confidence grows in Christ, when our faith is sure, and when it is confident, it affects the way that we live. And perhaps you're saying you're being repetitive because that's good for you. It impacts the way that we live. But I think we would agree, it certainly impacts the way we live, but, but isn't the opposite also true as well? When hard times and suffering come our way, that these things might be the first things to drop, to compromise on, to not be so sure that it's worth it to keep it up, to give ourselves to these things. But these things are fairly understandable. A couple of these things we certainly don't want anyone to talk to us about. But yet I think it's helpful for us this morning. So I just took the luxury of putting the scripture back up there and saying, hey, if you missed them, there they are. All right? There's let brotherly, sisterly love continue. The speaking of our life together. There's an emphasis on hospitality to strangers. This is seemingly impacting or looking at how we treat those outside of here. The third one, remember those who suffer in prison, not only those who suffer in prison, but also those that are mistreated. It seems to incorporate how we look after each other when we are faithful to the Lord and that cost us something, that perhaps we are to look after each other in those things. And then the last two that we're so all eager, I'm sure, to talk about, marriage, a significant relationship that puts on display the character of God, and the last most glorious topic, money. You heard me right. <laughs> money. Hear the preacher, and it seems maybe an odd way to end such a dense theological book, but yet it kind of makes all the sense in the world. That if Christ is all these things, then it would naturally work its way out in our lives. Now, four of these five things that are given are grounded in what I would say significant theology, or we might say motivators, if you will. Don't take my word for it. It's almost the preacher is saying, well, since our understanding of God, of Christ, is this, well, then that naturally means this action. It's a helpful way to talk about our life. Well, if God is this, well, then it would impact our life in this way. 
You see, the interest of the preacher here in exposing these actions and to maybe in your mind feel like he's meddling, the reason that he, his interest here, he doesn't want people, um, he doesn't want them to lose the confidence in Christ. He wants them, and he's willing to talk about things that they don't want him to talk about, to show how the confidence in Christ works its way out to endure in all aspects of life, even down to the things that you think are just, you know, me, and you don't need to look at. Well, all of these five instructions, they have to kind of do with the living here and now. So I thought it might be wise for us this morning just to kind of take one in in turn, right? Take each one in turn. So, so brotherly love, right? The, here the preacher starts with our life together. And what's interesting about this particular encouragement is not as if they're not doing it. Did you notice he says, continue? He doesn't want this tendency of love that they're already doing for one another to drop, and as we've already seen in the book, to drop as the external suffering increases. Endurance in our faith means a continual love for one another. Well, this isn't the first time that the preacher has highlighted our life together. And this morning, I I just, I I cannot overstate how important everyone in this room is to each other's endurance. Isn't, it's kind of odd (laughs) how important everyone in this room is to each of us enduring. I don't know if you realize this, but we all have a significant role in helping each other grow in our confidence of Jesus and in our long-term obedience, or we might say endurance. Don't ever think that your presence here on a Sunday is of no use. We aren't just a country club gathered together. There's significant things happening when we gather. Don't think that your presence is of no use. You being here is a source of encouragement for us all. And as we get to know each other, how much more of an encouragement to watch someone who comes and gathers and knowing that things aren't going well, but yet here they are. Here they are in faith, trusting Christ. That's deeply encouraging to me. Some of you among us are senior saints as you live in faithfulness encourages me. So just being here, Janice and Lewis, just being here is a source of encouragement for us all. Your faith is on display because it's hard to be here this morning. I cannot overstate just how important we are to one another in enduring. It's so essential that the preacher says, hey, keep doing it. Keep doing that. Don't lose that love for one another because the suffering ramps up. It's going to get hard. Now, I think it's wise pastorally. It's one thing to say, come, 
but it's another thing to show <laughs> love, right? I think we all would agree, you, you certainly can't love and encourage someone when you're not near them. So, so that, that is the first step, but, but could you in the coming weeks, could you be strategic, find someone to encourage? I don't know, maybe if we had an ability just on the fly to, to send a message to someone, like right as you're thinking about them, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, we do have that. The opportunity to say, as I was reading scripture this morning, you came to mind. As I was praying, you came to mind. Do you know the weight of that moment? Because when it pops across that screen, who knows what that person is saying? Is it worth it to keep following Jesus? <gasps> it is. I think we all understand just the, the value and the emphasis of why the preacher would say continually show love to one another. Do it. It's worth it. As a matter of fact, it's essential. It's part of his theological framework. If we're going to grow and endure, we need each other. Even a hodgepodge group of folks like all of us, we need each other. Well, there's more. I think it's not too far of a stretch to understand that. But then there's this odd hospitality to strangers. See, we all have a multitude of relationships, and we will meet all kinds of individuals in our life. And we all would agree that all relationships deserve kindness and generosity, but here hospitality is mentioned. Well, see, at the time of the writing of this book, caring for visitors was extremely valued, right? Travel was not like you and I experience today, that we don't um, have kind of a, a safe room. Depending on your, how much you're willing to pay for a hotel room, it's been cleaned before you got there. But some attempts have been made to look after it. Most hotel rooms have a locked door, some system a lot of hotels have rules and regulations upon them. It's not that world, and travel was extremely difficult. So hospitality to visitors and strangers, it was actually a, a high value. Hospitality for them, and apparently the preacher believes, was a way to put the gospel on display. How does it put the gospel on display? Because it says, I'm not so attached to my stuff. As a matter of fact, my stuff is your stuff because my stuff can help you have a, a safer environment to live in, that it can serve you, it can help you along your journeys. This seems to be the heart underneath this, this kindness to others, looking after others, helping in any capacity that you have. A belief in Christ compels us to say, my stuff can be yours. How can I help? But here, as I paused and made the funny reference, there's an odd theological thought that drives this hospitality. Entertaining angels unaware. What? <laughs> what? Well, do you remember, and it's a while ago, but do you remember the long discussion of angels in chapter 1? Chapter 1, verses 4 to 14, there's a huge section that the preacher deals with angels. And we learned a lot there, and he actually gives a good theology of angels. Say, hey, yeah, no, they exist. Here's how you should view them. 
They're significant messengers of God. Well, it seems here that I think the preacher, and he's a good preacher, I think he's taken that opportunity to evoke their love and respect for angels to emphasize the importance of showing kindness, making provisions for strangers. I mean, after all, what we learned in chapter 1 is that they are messengers that are sent out by God. So it's entirely possible that they could be watching. Entirely possible. Either way, let's move on. Kindness, caring, giving of ourselves to look after others. There's a third thing mentioned in this text that confidence in Christ would cause us to endure in, and it is remember those in prison and those mistreated. Well, if you have been with us through the book of Hebrews, this probably sounds a little familiar, right? Because we know that this is actually not unfamiliar to them, right? Prison and mistreatment. We learned back in chapter 10 that some among them had already experienced in previous suffering, what did they experience? Prison and hardship. All because faithfulness to Jesus, right? That's, that's what they had experienced. So this isn't an oddity to them. It actually feels like a possibility, which might cause someone to shrink back. But here the preacher says, oh, no, 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 don't shrink back because you've got a host of people behind you. See, here they, we, are not to abandon each other when suffering comes our way because of faithfulness to God. To be faithful to God that causes us to lose our job. Wouldn't it be wonderful to know I have a church family who will look after me, to help me, care for me, Interact with me. Help me plan. (laughs) And what's amazing about this emphasis of not abandoning but remembering, it's captured in in, um, the the theological thinking underneath it is, is so significant. Did you hear the two support statements of why we should not abandon, why we should remember? They're grounded in this. Think of them the person suffering for faithfulness to God, think of them as yourself. Remember those who are in prison as if you yourself are in prison. There's a sense of this incredible connectivity that I am to think of that person as if it is myself. And then the second support statement or theological thought is, oh, by the way, you're in the body. And so the hand's hurting, so foot, help out. You roll one ankle, well, the other one better step in. You hurt one finger, the other ones help out, right? There's a sense that we're in this body. We are so closely knit together that if one of us is in prison, we are all in prison. This is the body of Christ. We are bound to it. And when mistreatment befalls one of us, it befalls us all. But do you see how helpful that is for endurance? To know that my church family, the local gathering, brothers and sisters will come underneath me and my faithfulness to God if it cost me significantly. I don't pretend to know what that's going to look like for you. I can't make up a whole bunch of scenarios of what that's going to look like, but it might. And for them, it must have been a really true reality right in front of them. So he's saying, 
Remain faithful. Endure in all aspects because your church family is there for you. They'll remember you. They'll bring a meal when you're hungry. They'll look after your family while they're out here. They'll go take care if you're home if needed. In these moments, we remember, we step in, we look after, we care for those who are mistreated, who find themselves in tough spots because of faithfulness to God. You see, when we do this remembrance, the preacher is saying endurance will indeed happen. That it will help to push faithfulness to God. It'll help endurance when hard times come slapping us in the face. It's worth it to be faithful to God, even if it costs me hardship. Why? Because my church family is behind me. And they care about me. And those all make a lot of sense. And all probably encouraging. But hey, there's two more difficult issues. It'll be just so fun to dive into together. It'd be so wonderful for us to talk about these things. Marriage and money. Marriage. Here, the preacher says that we should honor it. Not only honor it, he gets real specific. He says, you should be faithful to one another by not engaging in sexual misconduct. Two things that he emphasizes with marriage, that confidence in Christ should compel you to endure living these ways, continue to live these ways, honor marriage, and don't defile it. Or to state it positively, be faithful to one another by not engaging in sexual immorality or sexual misconduct. Well, first, what does it mean to hold marriage in honor? Well, to honor something is to hold that thing with high respect, right? To bestow honor on something, it kind of marks it off as valuable, important, costly, precious, worthy of respect, which in turn, once honor is giving, what does that do? That translates into a desire to not mishandle the thing, right? Because the, the thing is valuable. I don't want to mistreat it. I don't want to mishandle it. I don't want to take advantage of it. I don't want to treat it poorly. Well, marriage is indeed all those things. <laughs> it's, a tr- it's of tremendous worth. So the preacher is saying, don't mistreat it. Honor is broad, while don't defile it with sexual misconduct is specific. Perhaps because the tendency to let unchecked sexual desire take over is high in our lives. Maybe that's why it's worth singling it out. Because obviously honor includes that. But I want you to understand, though adultery is specifically singled out and the like, sexual misconduct, nothing is left out when it comes to marriage when it says honor, right? All aspects in every facet of a marriage, we are to treat it with respect, which means we honor the other with our life, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we handle ourselves, the way we go about life. We honor one another with the decisions that we make. It's not just about you. I thought I was a very unselfish person. And then I got married. And lo and behold, would you know, I kind of liked things the way that they were. But to honor says it's, well, it's not about me anymore. 
is to think about my decisions in a way that have an impact on more than just me. That's honoring because that's a precious thing. Honor means that as you plan and think, you have the other in mind. Honor means that your words, you choose them wisely. Fellas, it means that we speak of our wives in a way that's honorable when they're not in earshot. See, because to honor is to honor the other one when they are not in the presence. And ladies, same for you. He might have frustrated you before he left the house that morning. Maybe he didn't take the trash out. Never happened in my house. But to speak well, right? Honor one another. Every facet of life when it comes to the marriage. And, and it's, maybe it seems odd to you to think about, hey, you're about to suffer. So, hey, by the way, honor marriage. But it kind of makes sense. One of the things that may make us, when suffering's ramped up, say, is it worth it? Is to say, do I have to keep, I'm just so wore out. I'm so frustrated with the other person. But see, the preacher believes that confidence in Christ, Christians, that through that confidence in Christ and the teachings of God's word, that we really have a high view of marriage, right? And how do we show that high view? The way we treat it how we talk about it, and how we prioritize it. Honor, hold it in high honor, because when we hold it in high honor, we tend to treat it well. But there is something specific mentioned. Now to sexual immoral, into adultery. And it's funny that when I read a book that's really old, it seems like some things never change. Sexual misconduct, by the way, is not new. It actually has existed <laughs> forever. Our current day, I'll admit, our current time, it does afford new opportunities, right, to indulge. But sex has been mistreated and misused for a long time. For a long time. Do you, do we understand that the act of faithfulness to our spouse, do you know what that does? It puts on display the faithfulness of God. To be faithful to one another is to put on the character of God to everyone around us. To put safeguards up so that you don't participate in sexual immorality. Well, this honors our spouse. It keeps us from defiling the marriage bed. I mean, this could not be more important in our day, right? This could not be more important not only in their day, but our day, but we could also say when great suffering comes upon us. I was with a, a group of pastors this week, and it was a, it's a life-giving group. That text message feed is just glorious. These brothers are like-minded, and these brothers are good for my soul. Well, we were together this week, and one of the more seasoned pastors was speaking pretty frank to us about burnout, about misguided aspirations of greatness. Yeah, pastors aren't immune from it. Ought to be great in my field. Everyone's going to love what I say. 
So he was speaking really directed about these things and burnout and the misguided aspirations. But what he, what he zeroed is like the, the misguided aspiration that caused us to neglect our families. And he was recalling a time in his younger years of doing just that. Working, 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 neglecting family, not honoring the marriage. And in the midst of talking, he just, he paused. He just stopped right there in the middle of talking like, like the thought just came to him. He just stopped right in the middle of talking through this. And with gratitude, he said, it is a gift of God that I did not commit sexual sins during that time. It was almost like he was just like, praise the Lord for that. You see, his wisdom as a seasoned pastor, he knew that when we are tired, whatever the cause might be, sexual sin is crouching at the door, wanting and waiting to pounce. We as Christians have the opportunity to put before the watching world a glorious and refreshing view of marriage. And we do that by being faithful. In a sex-crazed world that we speak of our wives and our husbands in a way that shows honor and respect, it's worth it. I don't care how mad they made you that morning. Not that we ever get mad in our household. Never. It's worth it to endure, right? It's worth it to fight through the hard times together, to hold it in honor. Because there'll be a day when you're going to look across the room and that's all you got. But according to Scripture, it's a good thing. Some have experienced loss here. And if they were standing right now, they would say, oh yeah, you better honor it right now while you have it. Some are looking forward to this day. Be patient. It's worth it. It's worth it. Because marriage is just that, a high, honorable thing to be a part of. But sexual sin is so um, timely even for us. To put protections, to turn off the computer late at night when everyone is in bed. Put aside that stuff. Honor the marriage. But do you catch the great motivator here? Well, first of all, there's like 12 other chapters that are really good motivators because Christ is wonderful. He's a great motivator. But do you catch the specific motivator here? God is the judge of sexual immoral and adulterer. Okay, thanks, preacher. (laughs) See, he has longed and he has consistently been honest. I want you to remain faithful, but I want to be honest with you with what unfaithfulness looks like. That what unfaithfulness will do in your relationship with God. He's he's very clear. There's no greater motivator than to say God sees, God understands, God knows, and he's a righteous judge who's wise. Oh, there's more to say, but I just can't. We got to get into money, right? Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Marriage and all of these things he believes we can endure in. And then he ends with money? <laughs> Six years of preaching here. I'm not sure how often we've talked open, openly and honestly about money. But I do know this. Since we have a strong commitment to what we call expositional preaching, we, we get into a text and we don't skip over stuff. 
I'm positive that we have dealt with it. I'm, I'm positive that it's come up in our preaching simply because of our conviction. But here, it is so clear. And, and it addresses an issue that we think no one should talk to us about. The love of money. I love the scriptures. Some of us just want a checklist, tell me, but then it's like, but it's harder. Love of money is a hard issue. Wow, what does that mean? But it's what you and I need, right? At the root, confidence in Christ does something to our heart and our loves and our affections, doesn't it? And I think, honestly, love is not a strong enough word for some in our society and, unfortunately, some within the church. Because money consumes. Money directs us. Money changes us. Love for it steals all of our attention, gets all of our energy. And I want you to hear me this morning. Pastorally, please hear me. A love of money affects the wealthy and the poor. That's why it's so helpful to get down to the nitty-gritty. When it comes to money, the issue, he says, that confidence in Christ would help with is love of it. It affects anyone on any spectrum across the board. You see, jealousy, even a hatred sometimes, is a common response of those who don't have much towards those who do. <laughs> I bet you're evil. I bet you're terrible. Surely you came by that with ill-gotten means, maybe. But see, the love of money, the, the jealousy, the hatred that, that, that wells up. You know, the common refrain of, if I only had this much money, like that person... Well, I'd be happy. Like the old song said, more money, more problems. Anyone? See, I'm hitting a, okay, anyway. Uh, but that common refrain, right? If I just had this much or like them. You see, love of money is such a great way to put it because it's a hard issue. Because the wealthy one, well, that person might pursue more and stop at no cost to fill their accounts, right? They just love the amount of zeros and commas that they see when they open up their account. See, it hits us all in various ways. It's love of money that oftentimes breeds unhealthy habits and desires. It's love of money that can lead to dishonoring activity. Love of money creates gross excess. Love of money creates a burning hatred sometimes. Love of money creates a lack of integrity. But see, love of Christ, confidence in Christ, seems to eradicate or help with that type of thinking. Because notice the antidote to the love of money. Contentment. <laughs> contentment. You know what money oftentimes reveals in our life? Where our, con our contentment is. That, that's usually what it does. It, it, it's a, a clear display of where, what we're most content with. And see, the, the only way that the preacher believes that we can be freed from the love of money is this. Wouldn't you know? Theological thinking. And wouldn't you know, quoting Old Testament texts, 
He's done it all along, and he undergirds love of money with these two realities that God never leaves us. (laughs) What an odd encouragement. God never leaves us. And the other is that God is our helper, so we need not fear man. You see, the love of money is a contentment issue. Love of money reveals oftentimes a lack of trust in God alone. See, this is going to be very important for any local gathering, but certainly for them. What did we learn back in chapter 10? I'll read it for you. For you had compassion on those in prison. We talked about that. Here's the second thing. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. The plundering of your property and a love of money don't mesh too well. Anger, hatred, bitterness towards God. See, the taking away of their financial security, the undeserved stripping of this money because of faithfulness to Jesus, we'll see it's not too far of a stretch for those that are reading this. So it's important for him to say, hey, do not, do not have a love for money. Keep your life free. Sure, I can make a whole lot of applications and get real specific, but I don't think that's the intent here. He wants them to endure in great suffering. He wants their confidence to grow. And love of money will not compel us to live in faith for Christ at times. Because sometimes faithfulness to Christ costs us. So it's fitting for him to address the elephant in the room. This morning, if I were to just make it super simple, here's what I think I can say and what the preacher is saying. Great suffering brings great temptation to let up in our daily lives. But in confidence in Jesus, it feeds endurance. And I love all day long. All day long. It breeds confidence all day long. Emphasis on just the daily activities of faithfulness to God. Do you realize your confidence in Christ is what helps us endure? It feeds us all day long. But understand, as faithfulness to Christ ramps up difficulty and suffering, the temptation will be, I don't know if it's worth it anymore. Here the preacher says it is. And he's warning them, giving them clear direction. Brothers and sisters, your daily activity is a commentary of your confidence in Jesus. Your daily activity is the showplace of endurance or lack of it. Suffering will go for the jugular and our faithfulness to Christ. You see, it has the potential to slowly erode our daily faithfulness. You see, walking away from faith, walking away from all the truth you once claimed, that doesn't happen overnight. You see, it's, it's in the daily grind of life. It's in neglecting the, the small things, neglecting the continuation of brotherly love neglecting attendance with your local gathering, which, hey, interestingly enough, the preacher says specifically in the book of Hebrews. Turning a a smug nose to strangers in need, disregarding those who are suffering for faithfulness to Christ, 
letting bitterness and anger creep into the marriage that makes you look at it differently, have no desire to honor it. You see, that's where it starts. Not being content with God, looking to money to make you happy, disappointed that you can't keep up with the Joneses, building excess, lavish luxury, looking for comfort and satisfaction in it, letting go of convictions to go get more money. This is where it starts, the daily faithfulness. And don't you love that the preacher undergirds it with strong theological thinking of all of who Christ is? This is not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work harder. This is cling tighter to Christ. Because in doing so, it impacts these things. If you're with us this morning and you don't know Christ, grab someone, please. Because you look at a lifestyle like this and say, that's, that's radical, unthinkable. Well, this is what Christ does in people's lives. Pray with me. Father God, thank you for the truth of your scriptures. Thank you for the willingness to, to get into our lives in such a way to address areas that we oftentimes neglect. I pray that the sincerity of your scripture has come across, that has caused us to be a little willing to listen and to evaluate. Because of the work of Christ in our lives, we are able to bring our heart before you and ask hard questions. So would you help us this week do that evaluation? Help us to be a body of believers that extends brotherly love continually, looking after, encouraging. May we be a people who are there taking care of one another. Might we honor our spouses well. And might we, and would you continue to work on our hearts when it comes to money? to be willing to be freed from it, to use it for honorable means. Because in the end, faithfulness to you, love of money doesn't breed faithfulness to you. So Father, we're thankful for today, and we ask you to continue to encourage us as we go. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.